Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I'm Greg Pickett. Hey, today we've got uh, Mark Amtower with us. Since 1985, Mark has been uh, helping companies um, in all facets of selling to the government. Um, he's the author of seven books, to include one titled Selling to the Government. He's also known as the godfather of government marketing. Um, on the side, he helps people build their brands and uh, has written seven other books um, to you know, brand building and specialization and uh, you know, lots of fun stuff to read. So, Mark, welcome. How are you today? Craig, thank you for having me. I'm I'm wonderful. It's a, a beautiful day to be alive. So you are an expert. So you're really good at helping people build brands. How uh, do they How do they create a brand? How do they create a brand that you know is sort of parallel to what they want to be known for? Well, it you know the 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 whole personal branding thing uh, uh, took off, and pretty much everybody thought they could do one. But when I'm working with an individual or a company, preferably a smaller company that wants to develop uh, an, an area of expertise, you know, rule number one, step number one, is defining what you're really good at. And then, you know, figuring out, do people buy this? And if so, how? So how, how do you position yourself in this? And who else is doing it? You know, who's in the food chain? Where do you, you know, realistically, where do you fit in that food chain? So you may be as good as everybody else, but if they're much better known than you, you've got to map out a strategy to start getting, you know, a little further up that particular ladder. What's, you know, what, what are you advising? How are you advising people? What's the best way to, to create that brand? Other, you know, obviously, you know, look, obviously you've got to be good at what you do first. I think too many people are out there and they're trying to become Instagram models and, you know, all sorts of stuff on social media. And they, you know, it's, uh, it's like Kim Kardashian, the, uh, um, the king I'm of, still, no, the king of nothing, but we'll build a brand around, we'll build a brand around it. I'm still trying to figure out who the hell Kim <laughs> Kardashian is and where, where he or she came from. I, you know, I, I have no clue. Uh, I don't watch a lot of that part of television. Um, so I watch, watch some news, uh, and I watch Jeopardy. So. But, you know, in your world, do you get a lot of people coming, hey, well, you know, I'm not real sure what, I, what I'm good at, but I want to build a brand? Uh, usually they have a clue. Sometimes a small company will come and say, can you help us create a position in the market? So I go back again to step one. Where are you making money right now? If you're a small company, you cannot, should not be a generalist. Uh, if you want to be a generalist, let's take technology. You want to be a generalist in technology, be a home computer repair person. You know, everybody's got home computers. Most people don't know how to fix them. If you want to play in a bigger game, a B2B game or in the business of government game, you really need to focus in 
on an area of expertise that you're currently good at or you're getting good at uh, and, and fine tune that and bring that to the fore. So right now, uh, you know, all things cyber are hot. So I've been playing in the computer security arena since 1992 when I was on the board of the National Computer Security Association. But I wasn't on the board because I have any technical knowledge, because I don't. I was on the board to be the marketing guy. So I've been watching that field morph and, and continue morphing. So now you tell me in, into cyber, I'm going, what, AI, machine learning, you know, uh, uh, CDM, uh, you know, intrusion, ex, extrusion, what? And, uh, well, uh, uh, all of that. Uh, no, not all of that. Um, where are you making your money? You know, well, I install, you know, McAfee. <laughs> oh, gee, that's cool. Um, go away. Um, so help, helping them figure out what it is that they do well, that they can make money at, that they can develop a beachhead for, and then expand that beachhead. Yeah, yeah, like doctors have figured this out long ago. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a guy you just a guy who just works on hands. You know, I'm a, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and all I work on is hands. Yep. You know, a brain surgeon. I only you know, I work on you know these you know, these types of cases. But it's yeah, you know, for a lot of people, be, becoming a specialist versus a generalist. You know, yeah, you know, it's the shiny objects. You see a lot of shiny objects, and you say, yeah, "I can do, I can do that." And and the reality of the matter is, if they would just focus on one small vertical and put their you know, put their blinders onto everything else, they'd probably increase their revenue two three times. Am I, am I right? I, yes, but but in the government market, there's only so much revenue to be made, like on an hourly basis, right? So you measure your progress by the number of contracts or on the task orders you get. You may only be making, you know, 150 bucks, 175 bucks an hour, but now you've got 30 butts in seat cranking that 175 versus you and your best friend who started the business with you three years ago, uh, you know, doing everything, including being the butts in seats. So when, when, when people are going to the DOD or some of the agencies and they're saying what they do well, how do they, yeah, how does their, how does their, how do they break out in their specialty? Well, do they, partner, um, do they have to partner with General Dynamics or Rock, Rockwell Collins or, or Raytheon or? Well, you know, part, partnering with a major prime like that is, is probably the wrong way to look at it. You're not partnering with them you are going to sub to them. Um, so subcontracting is certainly a way to go. Teaming with other smalls to build a past performance record is a way to go. Uh, going after uh, little tiny pieces of work, if you can find them, is a way to go. But you have to figure out how the agency you are targeting actually places those task orders out. So it may be an agency-specific contract. It may be a government-wide contract, an IDIQ or a MAC, multiple award contract. So you need access not only to the customers, you need access to the contracts that they're buying out. And again, that's probably going to end up being 
some sort of subcontracting teaming agreement. Where's the best way to find those opportunities? And what's the best way to you know, tell the world that, hey, I'm the one? Well, there, there's, there's paid services like Bloomberg Government and GovWin from Dell Tech. Uh, you can go to the Federal Procurement Data System, FPDS.gov or USAspending.gov and you know, do research there, uh, primarily, again, focusing on a particular type of service or product, a specific agency, and seeing you know, when they've bought this, which agencies have purchased this, if a particular contract is coming up for renewal soon, how are you getting in the queue to actually bid on that contract? So your, your, your research beforehand is absolutely critical. Um, and for, for smaller companies, again, focus on what you do and target, you know, a, a max of three agencies, preferably two. You're not going to, quote, sell to the government. You're going to sell to a very particular audience in that government. And trying to cover, you know, the whole ball of wax with, uh, uh, you know, a five or ten man team just isn't going to happen. So, you, you have to keep in mind that this is a very heavy relationship-driven market. So it's relationships between you and the feds, you and the primes, you and your teaming partners, you and the media, you and capital. So, you know, if you win something, do you have the funds to produce? So if you win a, a piece of business that requires uh, 20 people with, these types of certifications. Number one, do you have access to them? Number two, are you ready to pay them and bring them on board? And are they available? So all of these things have to be queued up ahead of time. And it's, it's not an easy game to play. Are companies positioning themselves well? I mean, you work with, you, you, you work with a lot of companies. You help them with their marketing. Um, you help individuals you know, build their own brand. What are the biggest mistakes you're seeing? Uh, the, the first biggest mistake is not focusing on one or two agencies as opposed to going after, you know, anything they see on FedBizOps, uh, FBO.gov. So FBO.gov puts out, uh, you know, all of the known bids. Uh, agencies are supposed to put them through there. Um, and, you know, Regardless of the agency and regardless of any relationships, you're just bidding on pretty much everything, throwing mud against the wall, hoping something sticks. That rarely works. So, again, focusing on a particular agency and going after that. Um, you know, mistake number two does your website reflect anything to do with government business? Does it display the area of expertise that you're bringing to the market? Does it explain in, in uh, both technical terms and layman terms the, the reason that government not only should be buying from you, but showing that you actually have very deep knowledge in this area? So if, if you're not sharing content, if you're not building a reputation around a particular skill, uh, like continuing diagnostics and mitigation. Um, you know, you're, you're just, you're not going to get anywhere. Gotcha. Yeah. The fun, it, it's funny. I was telling you a story before we started recording a company a couple of years ago, they 
they hired a VP of sales, government sales and marketing. And he flat out told him, hey, look, you know, it's, it, it's a year, 18 months before you're going to start to see any results, if not more. And their answer was, yeah, but, yeah, we need stuff now. <laughs> you want to talk about that a little bit? I mean, you know, oh, what's, you know, what, I, what, what's realistic? Come on, we've we got a lot of people, you know, we've got a lot of people that, that listen to this. And they're selling to, they're, they're, they're taking on military contracts or they want to take on more. DOD, Air Force contracts, and tell you Marine Corps, whatever. How realistic? I mean, what, what's uh, what's what's the expectations they should be setting for themselves? If if you're new to the market and you do everything right, a minimum of eighteen months commitment uh, before you see money. Okay, if if you're not willing to play that game, uh, don't even bother coming in. So uh, eighteen to twenty four months for money. You're spending money during that process on educating yourself. You know, uh, the, the bid and proposal arena is not free. Uh, so when you see these opportunities, you're committing time and resources to going after them. If you do not have the right team in place in-house to bid on federal work, then you hire hired guns. There's a lot of excellent proposal people out there as consultants and there are some questionable people out there. So, you know, vet your outside sources um, and, and be prepared for, for the long game. No, nobody makes quick hits here. It, it just doesn't happen. If the agency doesn't know you, um, they, they are going to back burner whatever you send in until the, you know, until the window closes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, I remember when I was at Gulfstream, we were bidding on the the Gulfstream 5, you know, a.k.a. Air Force C-37 contract, which we ended up winning. But, you know, I, I think we probably had a million, a million and a half dollars just into that bid process. Oh, yeah. With, with no guarantee you're going to win it. Yeah, and, and for small companies, you're probably not going to spend – a million to a million and a half. But when you factor in the size of that contract, you are talking probably billions of dollars. So when you're going after a vehicle that big and spending, you know, a million and a half dollars on, on the BMP process, um, that's not unusual. Uh, I've seen companies spend more and not win. Um, and in smaller scenarios, though, you know, you've got to be prepared to, to spend not insignificant money for a small company to go after these things. And a win rate of 30% is not bad. Wow. I mean, so, yeah, like I said, so it's not for the faint of heart. No, um, no. You know, you're, 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 you're at risk for a lot of stuff. If, if you are into instant gratification, go away. <laughs> What about yeah? You know, what about on a personal front? So you're helping you're helping executives out there, and uh, you build their personal brands too. Outside of you know, outside of dealing with the government, yeah, um, so they do, are they doing a good job? Are they are, are people in general doing a pretty good job with their personal branding, or are they is there, is is the whole world, is is half the world clueless? Um, you know, from my perspective, I'd say about five to ten percent of the people are doing an adequate job. Uh, Three to four percent are doing a great job, and pretty much everybody else sucks. 
what do they need to be doing? What, uh, well, what's, you know, without giving up, without giving up your recipe, what are they, what, what are they, what's the biggest mistake you say? Um, the, the biggest mistake is, you know, I, me, I, me, uh, throughout, you know, if, if you've done things, simply explain, tell your story. How did you get from point A to point B? Point A is where you enter your career. Point B is where you are right now. So there's got to be some stories in between there that should illustrate uh, areas of expertise that it's taken, uh, which may include, you know, mentors. Uh, nobody, there is no such thing as a self-made person. Everybody has mentors. So tell your story, tell it well. Uh, don't, don't seem to, uh, don't seem to be in love with yourself. I mean, I think we all should love ourselves, but that should not be the point of the story. Where do they, I mean, yeah, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, the one thing that, uh, we used to always teach her when I'm, you know, when I was leading a sales team, it was, you know, don't start the email with I, um, it's about the other guy. Yeah, the, the, you know, in, in when, when you're telling a story, you're telling it to someone uh, who you want to do business with, right? Yeah. So what you're trying to do is frame their issues around your experiences and position yourself as someone who can help them, regardless of, of the market you're in. You're someone or some company that can help them get out of the doldrums they find themselves in, into that top tier. So you've written seven books, and uh, we, we, talked about, you know, we, we talked about the first one a little bit, Selling to the Government. But some of the other, the other books you've written are, are, are pretty cool. Talk, talk, talk about them a little bit. There, three of them are, are political, and they were, uh, in, in a sense, they were joke books. They were uh, the 2010, 2014, and 2016 Voters Guide, the unofficial Voters Guide to those particular elections. After the intro, uh, the subtitle was Everything Politicians Know About What You Want. And after the introduction, each one's 100 blank pages. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of politicians, regardless of which side of the fence they sit on. An easy um, read. Yeah, pretty easy read, but something people can relate to pretty quick. Right. So the uh, my first book was Government Marketing Best Practices, uh, self-published, uh, sold 9,000 copies, which is pretty good for a, uh, a self-published uh, book. Yep. Um, and it, w it was popular enough that the Veterans Administration Small Business Office bought it from me in, you know, cases by the hundreds. Um, so they would give it out to, at all their small business conferences. I love when stuff like that happens. Absolutely. Um, hey, 9,000 bucks to the right people. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, nobody said you had to sell a million, 9,000 books to the, you know, given to the right people is a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go back to that book. Um, government marketing best. I, I was already an established figure in the government market when this came out in 05, that book took me to a new level because now I was you know, the guy that wrote the book. Um, so that book became my best business card. Gotcha. Okay. Books, books for most of us aren't 
profit centers. They are vehicles to position yourselves as an expert in a particular niche. So the, the next book came from a speech I did at a business conference I spoke at every year. They asked me to do the lunch speech, but they asked me not to talk about government. So I, I wrote a speech called Amtower's Laws of Survival and Success. And it was a 20-minute lunch speech. And two of my personal advisors were at that conference, and both of them came up afterwards and said, this should be your next book. And I'm thinking it was a 20-minute speech. It's going to be a short book. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I wrote a book from that called Why Epiphanies Never Occur to Couch Potatoes. So and you and I were you and I were discussing this. You know, most people say they have rules that they live by. They live by their own rules. Well, I, I challenge people who tell me that to tell me what they are. Have you written them down? If you haven't written them down, they are malleable. They aren't rules. They're they're lawyers for situational ethics. They're suggestions in your. They're suggestions you make to yourself. Yeah, yeah. They're they're flexible uh, white lines on the side of the road, right? If you want to drive down the shoulder, you can go right ahead. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. And then uh, uh, a friend of mine, a uh, uh, very well-known business author, David Merriman Scott, uh, was in a meeting with John Wiley and Sons, his publisher, and they happened to mention to him that uh, they wanted a book on, on the government market. And David said, well, then get Amtower to write one. <laughs> well, Wiley uh, brought me on to write Selling to the Government. Um, which is, you know, it's great to have a major business publisher ask you. I didn't even have to submit, you know, go through their regular process. They just called and said, send us an outline, and they sent me a check. Um, I, I like when that happens, too. Checks are, uh, checks are nice. So what, and, and the, now, so who's reading Selling to the Government? I mean, that sounds like... Uh, yeah, is is that something that you know, every big defense contractor or every big government contractor has a you know a copy of on their shelf, or is it uh, awesome. small business or a little bit of everybody? And pretty much everybody in between. You know, when I'm when I'm in CEOs' offices, I'm always thrilled to see it on the bookshelf, but I'm always tempted to ask if they actually read it. And how many have? Uh, about half. There you go. But but what's the difference? I mean, like, what's the difference? You know, you're selling to the government who's looking at your website, seeing if you're credible, seeing if you can deliver at a decent price. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it is it really that much different than selling to corporate America or selling to you know, you know Joe and John Smith? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of nuances in the market, and, and and not the least of which is termination for convenience which means the government can end your contract for any reason they want and not tell you what the reason is at any time. Um, it, it's, it doesn't happen often, but it can happen. Um, you know, during the bidding process, if, if you submit a, uh, a proposal that doesn't fit the original parameters of the proposal, including type size, font, and length, um, you're out. Um, 
you know, there's, there's just a, a, a ton of different little nitty things that, uh, that play here. And then there's the ethical side, things that you can do for business that you can't do for government. You can't take them to dinner. You can't take them golfing. You can't take them to your favorite resort. Um, you know, you, you can't buy them meals at a conference. So there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of, of smaller things that, that you have to take into consideration when you're doing business with the government. So what's the, so let's, you know, kind of the, you know, the last topic that we, we talked about, you know, so how do, how do people go out, win bigger contracts, make their businesses better, create their brands? Um, again, focus for, especially for smaller companies, focus on what you do well, figure out which agencies are your best target, research those agencies, uh, make sure your website reflects some knowledge of doing business with the government, that it's not generic B2B. Um, if, if the agency that you're doing business with is hosting industry days or any other meetings where they're talking about upcoming contractual vehicles, you go to those. Uh, you, you do your best to find the people who are responsible for these things. Uh, I, I leverage LinkedIn heavily for my clients that way because there's 2.2 million feds on LinkedIn representing literally every agency out there, including the intelligence community. So uh, LinkedIn is a big part of that. Setting, if you're new to the market, setting up business with the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, uh, doing your research before you go in, uh, knowing what what you do, how that fits with that particular agency, and if, if you can, uh, which, which contracts it might fit on, uh, determine whether or not you're going to be a prime sub or a team member. If you're really small, you really should start off as a subcontractor, uh, and getting those gigs isn't easy either. Um, you know, on the proposal side, if you do not have the talent in-house, here's that expense again. You got to bring somebody in, uh, you know, a hired gun to help you through that process. Uh, and that's with each proposal that you're going after. But once you develop, you know, once you win a little bit of business, take that as a beachhead in a particular agency and develop more relationships there. Look for other work that you can do for them there. But if they like you, that's your best avenue to grow your business. Take that beachhead. And again, it's, it's, it's a relationship-driven market. So develop relationships within that agency. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in Washington, D.C., or in Tulsa, or in, you know, Montana. There's federal activity everywhere in the country. So proximity could help. Uh, as long as as long as what you're near buys what you do. Gotcha. So let's wrap it up with this. You talked about LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. How important is LinkedIn? You, know, you use it to promote your business. You know, we've got hundreds of you know, mid mid career executives out there. How important is LinkedIn to their success in business? Well, you. If, if you've been in business any length of time, hopefully you've developed some areas of expertise. So figure out what those are, 
the value that they bring to your company and the value they could bring to any future employee. And think of LinkedIn as your best billboard out there for telling the world what you're good at, why you're good at it, and why people should hire you. It's not a resume dump, but again, you're telling a story here. So the probably the most underutilized portion of LinkedIn is that summary feature where you have 2,000 characters to start telling your story. So I've been on LinkedIn for uh, over 15 years now. I joined February 11, 2004. Um, and like everybody else, I, I sat there for a while trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. But admittedly, back then, there were much fewer people on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, I joined before there was a quarter million people on LinkedIn. But right now, it is where everybody goes to vet the people that they're going to meet, that they want to meet, or they want to hire. So if, if you're not presenting yourself extremely well from the get-go, including that summary area, um, you're, you're, you're wasting valuable opportunity. Yep. I agree. If you're not on LinkedIn, you're not really, yeah, I was telling this to my wife, like if you're not on LinkedIn, if you're in business and you're not in LinkedIn or you've got a poor profile, you're irrelevant. You're starting from a point of irrelevancy. Yeah. You, you, you don't exist. You're, you're Ralph Ellison's invisible man. Um, so it, it, but again, you know, being on LinkedIn with a bad profile is probably worse than not being on LinkedIn at all because now you look like an idiot as, as opposed to being just invisible. So not finding people on LinkedIn is rare. Uh, finding them on LinkedIn with, you know, various portions of their resume filling in various slots is, is the norm. And when you asked earlier, um, and I forget whether it was part of the interview or before, you know, what percentages of, of executives present themselves? Well, most just don't. Um, and that's mid-level as well as high-level. If, if you're a grunt in a corporation, but you're a good grunt doing good work, start to highlight that area of expertise that you're bringing. It can be financial, some sort of back office function, it can be business development, sales, marketing, um, you know, at the beginning and end of each day, I'm a marketing guy. That's all I am. But I'm one of the most known people in the government market. That's weird. It's a nice place to be, right? It, it is, but, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not easy and it carries a lot of responsibility. So I can't take cheap shots in public. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted all the time, but... My mantra is add value everywhere you go. So when I comment on something, I'm going to do it only if I can add value. If I'm going to write an article, it's going to be only if it add value, adds value to the market. When I bring people onto my radio show, it's only to add value to the market. So, um, so it, and, and for individuals out there at any point in their career, that's not a bad mantra to follow. I think if you're on social media today, many of people's careers and lives have been wrecked by what they post on social media. 
and uh yeah it's, it's a great thing to, to yeah, you're, remember, you're, remember you know i so said if you don't add value to a conversation and you're just taking a cheap shot you know mm -hmm. it's best to hit the delete key before you hit enter right so you're in the aerospace industry i did some consulting for about a year with a company called the logistics management these are thought leaders in 12 stove pipes that serve the Defense Department, the Intelligence Community, and the Department of Energy. So I, I coached uh, these brainiacs on using LinkedIn, and I found people who were in, in areas of expertise that I had no clue existed, one of which is readiness-based sparing, which means finding the, the OEM manufactured part at the right time and having it at the depot where you need it. So if your F-16 is uh, missing something, the, your, your, your supply chain guys should know exactly where it is and how to get it. So the, the guy that I worked with on this, Dave Peterson, who, who built a wonderful LinkedIn profile uh, around readiness-based sparing, um, you know, he's the go-to guy in this area. So, you know, it doesn't matter how narrow your niche is, how esoteric it is. Chris Anderson wrote that book uh, about 15 years ago, I guess, called The Long Tail, which was kind of an introduction to the world, to the web, and, and how you could use the web to find the most esoteric things imaginable. Like-minded people who liked left-handed Lithuanian, you know, line dancers. Um, it doesn't, doesn't matter what the, the uh, area is, you can find people this way. LinkedIn has done that for business, and LinkedIn has also, <clears throat> excuse me, reduced that six degrees of separation down to three degrees. So if you leverage it properly, you can get in front of the right people with the right message. When they look at your profile, they're going to think, you know, how the heck did I not know who this person was to begin with? It's amazing. I mean, look, the whole thing to me is amazing. You know, you just think about social media, the ability to build your brand on social media. But if you do it in a positive way, I think the same thing is, you know, I, I do it the same way as you. I, I put a lot of stuff out there. But at the end of the day, you just can't take cheap shots of people. There's no, there's no value in, in you know, there's no value in, you know, no, it, it only, point, you know, it's, it's just dumb. You know, it, it's just dumb. You know, it's, uh, it just makes you look like an idiot. It, it only reflects back on you. Absolutely. So how, how do people, uh, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, pretty easily. You can find me at federaldirect.net. And, uh, or you can send an email to markamtower at gmail.com. Mark, thanks for coming on today. It was great, uh, great meeting you. Great, uh, great conversation. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Had a good time.